If you're ready to confront your destiny, if this is the moment that you've been praying for, tune in and listen to your cosmic cheerleader, Commander Lady Athena, for cosmic pep talks, for closet Christ. The show is the voice of the Ashtar Command. The call is for you to step forward into your greatness. Be listening on Wednesday. We have an appointment with destiny. Greetings in the supreme love of the one source of which we are each an embodiment of. I'm Commander Lady Athena, and you're listening to the voice of the Ashtar Command. Cosmic pep talks for Closet Christs. This evening, our seminar topic is Abiding Calmly Amidst Stressful Situations. Abiding calmly amidst stressful situations. So to begin with, let's take a deep breath together and call yourself into alignment with your high self, soul, and into the monadic oneness that we share at the highest level. Experience yourself, if you will, as a divine continuum, an extension from the very heart of source of divine love, divine grace, divine peace, divine presence, presenting into the dream fields of time and space and becoming, and yet never departing source. You find your being in source. You find all that you desire, that you yearn for, that you aspire to be already that which you are forever and always as one with your source. Consider, if you will, how everything in existence yearns yearns to reunite with its source. And yet that's an oxymoron because you see you can never be separated from your source. It's impossible. You can never not be what you are. Divine through and through. Perfect through and through. Ever full. Ever whole. Ever complete ever omniscient, omnipresent, and omnipotent. Everywhere present, all-knowing, all-powerful. And so we have chosen of our own free will to experience for a time and a season self-imposed limitation. Why? Because we were curious. We wanted to experience what we were not. Everybody likes contrast, don't you think? Everyone likes change. Everyone likes to reinvent themselves periodically. And yet, the major source of stress is change, adapting to change, be it positive or negative. We're stressed when we move to a beautiful home of our dreams. We marry the love of our life 
we have a beautiful child. We win the lottery, whatever, and we're in tremendous stress, isn't it? So you see, change itself and the need to adapt to that change is what causes stress. So we might as well accept the fact that life is stressful. So how are we going to abide calmly amidst stressful situations? That's what we're going to look at tonight. So there are two major ways that we can deal with situations that are stressful. I'm going to lead us in a meditation, now a very brief one. We don't have time to do a long one over the air. But you might want to consider and practice these approaches when you have the inclination to do so. There are two. You can dive deep or you can rise above. And so let's do a little meditation in which we sample each of these and you get a taste of what that might be like. Imagine, if you will, a situation, probably there's one on the front burner of your life right now, that is deeply distressing and disturbing to you. Yeah, that. Okay, hold it in mind. And now if you can begin to consider it simply as a conglomerate of energy. You can imagine it as a storm, as a agitated conglomerate of occurrences that's whirling like a vortex. Whatever comes to your mind. And now I want you to move your awareness Deep, deep, drop like a stone. That's it. Go right down deep, 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 deep. Keep going, keep going. Drop like a stone down, down, down beneath that situation, whatever it is. There's a deep center of calm right within you that is never absent. It's always awaiting just beneath the surface turmoil. Take a deep breath. Dive deeper, deeper, deeper. Drop, drop, drop like a heavy stone beneath that situation. With every breath, go deeper, deeper, deeper. Beautiful. Now just register and imprint what that felt like. Excellent. Okay, just surface your awareness again. You see, we're moving our inner awareness, our inner attention by conscious volition into the place of peace. And it's deep within you. It's not to be found anywhere else but within you. Now we're going to try another approach. Just check yourself right now to see if you're relaxed. Part your jaw a little bit. <clears throat> 
Relax your mouth, your jaw. Check your shoulders. Relax them. That's it. Drop them down. Look at your hands. Are they open? Very good. Are you breathing? Whenever you're really tense, notice how you're not aware of breathing. There's two times when you're not aware of breathing. When you're harboring high anxiety and when you're in a deep transcendental state of meditation where the breath slows and slows and slows until you're not breathing at all. Yeah, yogis can go sometimes for very long periods of time without breathing. They have a different way of breathing. So notice your abdomen. Is it soft? Is it relaxed? Take a deep breath and feel your lungs, your chest. Is it relaxed? Usually there's a tightness in the thorax, the upper chest, the throat, when you're tense, when you're stressed. Just pay attention to how your body feels. Good. Now we're going to take the next approach. You ready? Take a deep breath and rise up above that situation that's troubling you. Rise up, 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 fly, soar, lift, ascend. As if you were an angel with mighty wings or a bird in flight. Go higher, 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 higher still. Keep going, keep reaching, keep imaging in yourself rising above whatever it is that has troubled you. And perhaps at a point you want to perch to a vantage point to where you can objectively overlook the situation. And from that high advantage of altitude, the attitude around it can soften and objectify and clarify. And at that level, you can see very clearly what you need to do. Note that feeling. Imprint and register it. And come back down into present moment. Notice how you feel. Excellent. So those are two ways that you can find immediate relief. You have to be very intentional. You can't be wimpy about this. You have to dive deep and get under the surface agitation or soar high above it to where you can objectively view it from that higher position of consciousness. So I hope those were 
helpful. There are many, many techniques, and we're going to look at quite a few of them tonight. First of all, know that there are divine abodes within you. All of these abodes are states of consciousness that we all have access to all the time. The divine abodes within us are friendliness, loving kindness, compassion, empathetic joy, equanimity, selfless self-giving, which would be service, wouldn't it? When you give of yourself. There's a very advanced practice in Tibetan Buddhism that's called chud. It is approach that's just absolutely the opposite of the way we approach negativity in the Western world. It is so outrageous and bodacious that probably many of us have never even in our wildest conceived of doing it. And the practice involves nurturing rather than battling our inner and outer enemies. That's radical. Nurturing rather than battling our inner and outer enemies. And this will eventuate in resolving conflict and leads to psychological integration and inner peace. And the attitude is, may all be satisfied, may all be nourished, may all be happy, may all be fulfilled, at peace, enlightened and liberated. Oh, what an attitude. You know, there's a story that Dan Millman tells in the film, The Peaceful Warrior, and I suppose in the book as well. He and his mentor, Socrates, were walking in an alley, and they were confronted by thugs. And the thugs immediately said, You, pointing to Dan, you've got some really good-looking shoes there. I think they're my size. Give them to me. And Socrates, you know, Dan looked to Socrates to see what Socrates would say. He said, give, give him your shoes. Well, this went on and on and on until pretty soon... Dan Millman was standing there in his shorts. <laughs> and so then uh, they turned their attention. They were a little shocked, of course, the thugs. Then they turned their attention to Socrates, and Socrates said, Here, I have a really fine leather coat. Looks like it's going to fit you, right? You know, just really well. Hands it to the thug. Takes off his wristwatch and says to another, Here, take this. Takes off his beautiful leather belt and his... You know, everything, they start stripping down. And, uh, you know, of course, they've given over their wallet at this point. And then there was something they had turned away, the guys had turned away, somewhat in shock. And uh, Socrates calls them back. He says, wait, 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 I have something else to give you. And he gives them something else. Until they're like standing there dumbfounded because these people are standing now naked in their underwear. No shoes, socks, nothing. And finally, they, they just kind of uh, 
you know, there was nothing more they could take. But they completely were disarmed by the behavior, the very unusual behavior. That's a classic example of chut. That Tibetan practice of feeding, giving your enemies whatever they want. You know, in the Bible it says that if somebody asks you for your cape, Jesus said, also give them your undercoat. If a man wants you to walk with them one mile, walk with them again too. In other words, whatever is asked of you, go over and above whatever is asked. That's chudha. There's a story that of the Buddha, that one time the Buddha offered his own body to feed a lioness who was hungry and seeking something to feed her cubs. Chud, the art of giving rather than battling your enemies. What a radical approach. There's even a practice in Chud, in Tantric Buddhism, where you offer the substance of your own body for the boots, the disincarnate spirits, the demons, the whatever, to partake of, partake of the essence. It's like, here, you want this? Have it. Be satisfied. Consume. It's such a radical approach. But it's also such a benevolent way to look at life. Everything comes to us as embodiments of the divine to be accepted, to be nurtured, to be brought home to God. Beings come to us to be escorted home to God. Yeah, bacteria, parasites all kinds of different substances that coexist with us and come into our bodies. Why? Because they want to go home. They want to ride home in the host organism that is in an ascending process. Oh, this is radical, I know, radical. But consider the possibilities. If we live totally in an attitude of self-bestowal, we are all Buddhas, we are all Christs, we are all Krishna. We are all the all-bestowing Avalokiteshvara. We are all the Buddhas of compassion. We are all the Maitreyas. You see, there's only one and all of these many manifestations. And they live in us and through us as us. All of the gods and goddesses reside in our body itself. All of the divine abodes are inherent in our nature itself. All of the avatars, all of the saints, all of the masters indwell us because there's only one, one, one that had the thought, I am one. Let me become many that I might know myself and experience myself through relationships. So here we are. Okay. So you got the idea. 
why battle with the un, you know the inevitables of life? Why battle? Why battle? The major cause of suffering is our background of discontent with the way things are. That's it. We don't like the way things are. Well, good. (laughs) Good. Because then you're going to seek the means of avoiding suffering or exiting suffering or transcending suffering or illumining suffering when you look into it so intensely it dissolves under the light of your gaze and becomes the clarity of pure being. But that you suffer? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I think everybody, probably, without exception, is in that state which we call dukkha or suffering because we're so dissatisfied with the way things are. So what suffers is that mindset of againstness, that mindset that's battling, that mindset that sees everything as attack. And yet we're told in the deepest teaching that everything is a sign of God's grace. Everything. Yes, that terminal disease may be an answer to your prayer that you could be liberated in this very life and not have to take ten more lifetimes of mild suffering when one last one of intense suffering will do. Oh, it's radical, I know. It's a radical thought. But if we can keep believing and thinking and going along the way we are, we're going to stay in the same ignorant state. How many people do you know that have truly awakened and are enlightened? Right, I rest my case. So, it's important to realize that certain forms of suffering are inherent in life in illusion. We are in the sea of samsara, the sea of change, the sea of illusion. Part of what we are taught as we mature in our spiritual path is to learn equanimity in the face of that which is. Inherent, inherent in life, in the third dimension, in samsara, in illusion, is discomfort. It's built in. It's built in. So that you'll keep moving, moving, moving out, out, out of this illusion and into pure being. So you have the weather. Why fight the weather? It's going to be too hot and it's going to be too cold. That's a fact. Why battle the insects? There's going to be mosquitoes and flies and insects. There's going to be roaches. There's going to be all of these things. It's built into the nature of this dimension. Why fight it? There's going to be annoying people. Everybody's got something that the ego is going to find to object to, to be against, to fight against. Why? People have the nature that they have because of their karma. Let them be. Why should that affect you? Then you have the problems and suffering you cause yourself by your own ignorance and stupid behavior and poor choices and lifestyles. 
you have to deal with disease. You have to deal with aging. It's inevitable. It's inherent in the nature of things. You're going to have to deal with death. It's inherent. It's built in to the level of illusion in which you identify yourself with your body and the material world. Get over it. And then you have the annoyance of the environment and everything that goes with trying to survive in it. It's pointless to battle that which is. Deal with it. And then you've got the world itself, which again is all an interpretation within your own mind. So we're living in a realm of impermanence, constant change, loss, aging, and death. Deal with it. These are facts of identifying with illusion. Sai Baba said that life itself is like a bed full of bugs. The only thing that gives us any pleasure and relief at all is our relationship with the divine. Only in that divine romance, that interplay between the soul and its source, can we find any degree of happiness. You will not find happiness anywhere without. Just deal with it as a fact. And the sooner you can move from battling and fighting and objecting and resisting and all of that nonsense the happier you will be. So we're all in mind training. And we're all working to replace negative mental habits with positive ones. But you have to use ones that are tried and proven to be effective. Now I'm going to speak to those of you who are in service to people. We've been told so many times Sai Baba teaches, first self, then help. John Roger teaches, take care of yourself first, so that then you can take care of others. As long as you are not centered in yourself, you actually are creating more of a disturbance in the world than helping. Now, that's not to say you don't do your best to help the people around you, but if you want to really be of help, you're going to be working on yourself all the time, and you're going to be using your daily life as part of that yoga of self-discipline, part of that yoga of developing increasing equanimity, part of that yoga of diving deep into the innermost resources and recesses of your being, and tapping that wellspring of peace, that abiding core of peace that's present all the time. Or you're going to be transcending and lifting above it. Now we're going to look at service. We're going to look at some of the things we're experiencing. Oh, my, my, my. We could call these skillful ways of dealing with stress you're going to be able to tuck in to at least one of these areas and hopefully all of them because there's going to be times when you're going to need every one of these skills. 
We're going to move in and out of these different skills all the time, depending on where we happen to be in our own self at the moment. The first one to, to, to access, you're going to like this one, is avoidance. <laughs> you got to know when the battle is not yours and don't enter the battlefield because you're not going to be effective. You're not equipped to handle the area or you just don't want to handle the area or it's going to throw you into a real funk and down spiral. So don't get into the area if you can't handle it. You know, don't go in the kitchen if you can't handle the fire. And there's no shame. There's no shame to this if you find yourself confronted in a situation where you know going in that you're not equipped to handle it. It's not an area for you at this time. And everything within you is going to tell you that if you pay attention. Number one, you don't want to get involved. (laughs) You know there's a wisdom to that. Pay attention. So some of these situations would be toxic people. You know the kind of person that keeps you on the phone for five hours? (laughs) My experience. They don't want a word, a word of how to get out of their mess. They just want to complain and bitch and moan and malinger and, and occupy your time and dump all of their crap into your ears and your chakras and then get off the phone. Or if you try to say a word of counsel, they get mad and hang up. Yeah, I had someone like that in my life. And would you believe it? I put up with this for years before finally I said, you know what, I've had enough. I'm not going to let that person call me ever again. It's not going to happen. That person does not want to change, work on themselves. It's pointless. And the areas that that person absolutely insists in living in, there's no answer. There's no answer to that. There's no answer at all, but that person has to work on themselves. They have to take responsibility for their life and quit blaming and casting all of the fault outside of themselves. Now, you all probably know somebody like that in your life, right? That's a toxic person that has no intention of changing. You're wasting your time entertaining that. It's quite fine to avoid. There are situations, too, where you're not equipped to handle them. You don't have the knowledge, the experience, the background, or the authority, physically speaking. Stay out of them. They're not yours. We can't be all things to all people. There's just so much energy and strength each one of us has, mentally, physically, spiritually, in, in our physical vehicles. Honor that. So notice the, the people and situations where you are depleted. 
You're just drained dry. You're not enervated or energized at all by that encounter. Recognize it. That's an energy drainer person, or i.e., a psychic vampire. Yeah. They want to come and suck your essence. Disconnect. Avoid. Step away. Don't give your substance to those who are not going to benefit and will never benefit. Notice the people who are the givers. And notice the people who are the takers. Observe the behavior. And observe how you feel after that encounter. And be wise. So part of taking care of yourself is not putting yourself in situations where you are drained, abused, attacked, not listened to, not respected in who and what you are. Pay attention. So, self-nurturing. And when I speak of self-nurturing, it means taking care of that part of you that is kind, loving, generous, wishes with all of its being to be of service, to be truly helpful, that is soft and caring around situations that people bring to you, that pray to be an instrument that God might use to benefit whoever comes into your presence. That precious part of you needs nurturing. To nurture, you have to know how to nourish yourself. True nurturing in a ministry requires constant self-nourishing in the terms of partaking of real soul food. You do not get energy from the outer substances of the world. You are fed and refreshed only by contact with the inner spirit, contact with your core essence, your spiritual nature, your soul, if you want to call it that, your high self, your higher nature. It requires silence. It requires attunement, however you do it. Prayer, God talk, God time, reflection, contemplation, very important. But most important of all is the practice, the spiritual practice of daily divine communion. Now, you can do that 
in your quiet time, you go out apart somewhere like into a forest or you go hiking in the mountains or you have a special chair that you sit in in a quiet area and you spend time with yourself. It can take the form of meditation, daily contemplation of scripture or, or some spiritual book that you really internalize like The Course in Miracles, you really work with it. I personally think that meditation is absolutely essential. I don't know how people live without it. I really, really don't. But if you read in the Bhagavad Gita, the Bhagavad Gita is wonderful because it gives all of these different approaches. If you don't like to meditate, then you do this. If you don't like to do that, then do this. If you don't like to do this, then here's something else. There's something basically for everyone. And likewise, there are many, many different forms of yoga. Not just hatha yoga, which is for the physical body. There are all kinds of yogas. I practice and teach surat shabd yoga. The ability to attune to God through the inner sound current. And you ride the energy of the inner light and sound to your source, which is the divine light and sound of God. And so it's a wonderful, wonderful path, which very much involves mantra yoga, or the repetition of the names of God, where you ride on the energy of God. I'm going to give you a little exercise right now that works really, really well. If you feel like you're too weak to do that on your own, here, take a deep breath. Relax. Visualize in front of you a picture or a form of God that you really love. It can be uh, your, your teacher. It can be John Roger. It can be Jesus Christ. It can be Sai Baba. It can be Krishna. Whatever form of God makes your heart throb with love. Got it in front of you, in your mind? Good. Now I want you to pretend like you're swinging. If you need something to hold on to, why don't you get on one of those uh, swings. You know, under a big tree and just swing, or maybe a rope that you're hanging on, whatever. And on three, you're going to swing right into and through that picture, okay? Ready? One, two, three. Swing through the picture. That's it. That's it. That's it. Go right through that picture, right through that form. And that's how you can use the image of God to impel you through, propel you through and into the next dimension of consciousness that you would like to enter. It's a little trick, you know, but you can partake of the energy of your master and do that. Okay, back to some of the ways that we can abide calm, uh, calmly, abide calmly in stressful situations. So number one, take care of yourself. Do what you have to do to keep yourself spiritually charged. The name of God will charge you. Breathing in God. Exhaling love. Breathing in God. Exhaling love. That will charge your batteries. 
But you really have to have a quiet God time every day. You must. That must be foremost on your schedule. And if it's that important to you, you will make time for it. I made time for it when I had to be at work at 8 o'clock in the morning. I would discipline myself to go to bed at at an hour, decent hour, so that I could get up with plenty of time to be with God before I had to get my my child up and get her to preschool and, and get my body up and get it to work. If I can do it, anybody can do it, okay? We have the same amount of time. It just depends on how important it is to you. And if it is, you will make time for it. Another way to to build in energy is japa. Get yourself one of those 108 uh, uh, beaded rosaries and say the name of God or the Gayatri Mantra on each of those beads every day. Om Sai Ram, Om Sai Ram, Om Sai Ram, Om Sai Ram. Or do the Gayatri Mantra. Or Jesus Christ, Son of God, Lord and Savior. Whatever mantra, divine word, divine phrase is satisfying to you. Use that. That will build in energy. Repetition of the name of God with love will bring tremendous energy into your body. And that is what feeds you and replenishes you. But you have to be consistent every day, every day. Just like you, you eat one to three times a day, Make that time with God more important even than eating. And that's what what is going to keep you surcharged with energy and constantly replenished. Recognize when the spirit drops away. When you're working with someone or on the phone, there'll come a point when the energy goes flat. Recognize that and stop. Don't say another word other than maybe i got to go. You know, got to go now. God bless you. Bye. Pay attention. Pay attention. Pay attention. That's taking care of yourself. It's not self-indulgence. It's self-replenishment and refueling so that you give it the overflow and not the dredges at the bottom of the barrel. That's self-abuse. Got it? I think so. So, another way to take care of yourself is to know when to bow out. We just spoke about that. When you feel the energy back off, when you feel the energy start to drop and you start to feel drained, bow out. Take a break. Take a walk. Have a nap. Change the scenery. Take a bath or shower. Give yourself some TLC, tender loving care. Give yourself some compassion, some nurturing. Another thing that I find very uh, refreshing is to try a new approach. Don't keep doing the same thing the same way year after year after year. Find variation. Study something else. Take a different course. Study some some other path, something that, that is new for you. doesn't mean you forsake the path you're on. It means you enrich your experience by, by approaching it from a different angle. 
right? Change the scenery. Look through a different lens. When you feel your practice getting stale and dull and you're doing it by rote and your heart's not in it, that practice is, is, you know, it's not doing it for you right now. Try something else. You ask anybody, I don't care who they are, that's seriously on a spiritual path, and you'll find they have periods when they just feel dry. They're just, there's just no juice. And that's when you need to try something new. So be adventuresome in your spiritual life. Many times Christians, people who are very, very heavily into that particular worldview, are scared to death to try something new because they think it's of the devil. That's absolute nonsense. That's absolute nonsense. The devil never does good works. All that's good comes from God. Got it? So wherever you see good works, God is present. Wherever you see bad works and things that harm people and nature and whatever, that is what you avoid. So you have to learn to discern whether good works are taking place here in which people are benefited and their lives are enhanced and made better, or works that are detrimental and harmful to humanity. If you're on a spiritual dharmic path, you're not going to be involved in producing things that kill and destroy life. You're not going to be in a factory that makes bombs. You're not going to be in a factory that that deals with uh, creating poisons to kill and, and despoil our environment. You're not going to be in a factory that produces alcoholic beverages. You're not going to be in a factory that produces cigarettes. You're not going to be in a factory that willfully produces substances that harm people and the environment. You're just not going to be involved in that. You're going to put your energy into things that enhance the quality of life for everyone. Right? Makes sense. That's part of taking care of yourself, and it's part of being of service to the planet. So now I think you've got a really good idea of what it is to take care of yourself and to bow out and avoid situations that are by your experience and your observation, not helping anyone and simply wasting your time and poisoning your system. Now, the next area that we can use to bring that calm abidance is the loving acceptance of what's going on in your life. It's there for your love your forgiveness, and your acceptance, okay? I don't care what it is. And this is the path of transformation. Be with it, whatever it is. Be fully with it. Soften around it. Soften your story. Soften your approach. 
soften your attitude around whatever it is that is unpleasant. You have to deal with it. It's there. It's in your life. It's your karma. It's your dharma. It's whatever it is. Be with it in peace. Be with it in loving acceptance. Allow it to be without resisting. Resisting, again, causes enormous stress and releases cortisol and all sorts of nasty things into your, into your body. Don't resist. It'll give you gallstones, as I found out. So if you have gallbladder problem, guess what it comes from? Resisting and resentment. Resentment is simply constantly revisiting and re resisting whatever it is again and again and again. Resentment. So unless you want to suffer from gallstones like I did, get over it. Let it go. Be with it peacefully. But learn how to observe whatever it is without getting lost in it. For example, watch when rage or terror or sorrow or fear or anguish or sadness or envy or whatever, watch when it arises within you. Just watch it. You're going to have to get out of your self-focus and get a little bit above it to observe it and just see if you can trace where it comes from when it enters in. And it's processed through the body. Use it like a scientist in a laboratory. You're observing it. Don't buy into it and get lost in it. Oh, I know it's hard. You know, you have to keep practicing this stuff. But I'm just saying. If you want to abide calmly amidst stressful situations, these are the keys of how you can do that. So you're going to do what's called mindful watching, witnessing awareness, where you watch what plays through your instrument, the energies that come up and where they go. You notice everything has an entrance and then it has a departure. And if you get really skillful, you'll just watch these things come in and you'll hit them off at the pass before they get into where they cause a reaction. That takes, you know, well, you know, a lot of practice. But pretty soon you watch irritation coming and you sidestep and it goes right by you. <laughs> or it goes right through you and there's nothing it can snag onto because you don't have any more hatred inside you, so there's no place for the anger to go. It just dissipates. Everything dissipates if you just watch it. The very fact that you're watching it causes it to dissipate. Okay? That's a very good key, and that's called transformation. We transform things when we love them. Love is what heals and brings transformation. How many times have we heard that? But it also means abiding with abiding in that sacred divine place within us of loving kindness and acceptance and compassion and empathy and all of that, selfless self-giving. Abide in that. 
See everything as a sign of God's grace. See everything as coming to bless you. See everything as coming to you for your love. That's the only reason anything comes to you, bottom line, for your love. That's it. Your attention. Now, we have another way. We've had avoidance. We've had transformation. And we have one more that's familiar to a great many of you who are listening. And that is transcendence. Transcendence in soul awareness. You transcend things by moving them with your initiatory tone, your mantra, your chanting. You ride them through on that sound current and you transcend to the next level. 99.9 and 9 tenths percent of our problems are mental. The problem itself is not the problem. It's the story we've wrapped around it and told ourselves again and again until it's become one huge myth that only the name of God is going to dissolve. Okay? I'll put it point blank. Only the name of God is going to dissolve all of that monkey-making, that mischief-making, lower egoic mind. When you chant your initiatory tone, when you chant your mantra, when you meditate and you chant and you chant, it eats up all of those negative thoughts, that negative energy like little voracious Pac-Men, okay? Little piranhas. I'll just gobble it all up. It dissolves it, neutralizes it, disperses it, and vanishes it into nothing. That's the power of the name of God. That's the power of your initiatory mantra. Now, the secret is, you are not your mind, and you are not the thoughts that go through that mind. So you leave the mind alone. You don't try to quiet it. You don't try to still it. You don't do anything with your mind, your thoughts. Okay, I'm talking about those thoughts. Leave them alone. Let them do what they're going to do. That part of the mind is designed to generate thoughts. Let it do that. Give it what it wants, freedom to think, okay? But you keep your attention on chanting your mantra, your initiatory tone. Get the difference? Leave the mind alone. Keep focused on chanting. It's all you have to do. Now, the mind is like the cobra. The cobra responds to the vibration of the flute. It's the vibration that entrains the cobra and keeps it from biting the snake charmer. In exact like manner, when you keep focused on that enchanting vibration of the holy names of God, the poisonous cobra of your lower mind becomes so enchanted, it begins to sway in harmonic resonance with that tone. And it's so entranced with that tone, it won't bite you. Got it? Simple. The name of God gives you everything. 
It is the one panacea. In this age of darkness called Kali Yuga, in all of the torments of the mind, in all of those sleepless nights, in all of that train of worry and anxiety that you keep revisiting in your thoughts, replace it with repeating the name of God. Simple. Truth is always simple. All you need is to remember the name of God. Chant it silently. Sing it. Sing it in devotional songs. Speak about it when you talk to people. Listen for it in nature, and all the sounds of nature is the name of God. When I was in Germany, I loved the little train that would uh, go every morning through the uh, countryside where I was staying. I was uh, visiting the great uh, woman saint, Mother Mira, in Germany. And every day this little train would go by, and it would go, you. And I would chant Hugh right along with it. <laughs> but everything in nature, with those that have the ears to hear, is repeating the holy names of God. Everything in nature is glorifying the Creator. It's just we humans that worry. Nothing else in nature doubts divine provision. Only the human being. We who are the very vehicles and vessels and extensions of the heart of God. We alone forget that. And so all of nature is trying to remind us. There's a wonderful thing I heard, um, I think at an Ekankar seminar. Wonderful uh, recording was done of, well, they played it, first of all, and it sounded like a beautiful chorus of men and women chanting Hugh. But what it was was crickets. It was a field of crickets. And when their vibration was slowed down to the human wavelength, it sounded exactly like a chorus of men and women chanting Hugh. Isn't that amazing? So remember, life is the best teacher and nature is the best preacher. And it looks like we've come to the end of our time together for this evening. So let's just wish and say on behalf of all beings this prayer. May all sentient beings be happy. May all be healthy. May all be fulfilled. May all be at peace. May all manner of goodness prevail for everyone, everywhere. May all the beings in all the worlds be happy. 
and let's go out chanting like that little train. Hugh, shall we do that? Three times. Deep breath. Blessings and grace to each one of you. You've been listening to Commander Lady Athena of the Ashtar Galactic Command. Blessings from all of us within the United Fleets, Airborne, and here upon Earth, in and on Earth assignment. Namaste. Namaste.